First letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 2. I'll begin reading verse 6, which is where we read a while back. And we will continue through the end of the chapter. First Corinthians chapter 2. I'll bring out the New King James Version. God's Word says, However, we speak among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I don't always, well, I don't know that I ever, sit down with Chris and go through what the message is going to be on. And as he selects the music, um, he can obviously read what's next in Corinthians. So he, all of you could, by the way, you pretty much know what I'm going to preach on next week. Um, at least the text before you. We just got done saying, I know whom I have believed. And verse 3 says, I don't, do not know how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word. And this uh, is a great introduction to our passage today on how is God working in and through His Spirit in us? What is that process and what does it look like? How do we evaluate it and how do we develop it? And while the writer of this hymn says, um, that's Daniel Whittle. I know that because it's written right here in the hymn book. Didn't look that up. Didn't know that. It says that he did not know how. The Bible does describe what he does. What the Spirit does for us. And our responsibilities towards him. So I think we're going to, I was going to have a different hymn in closing, but I think we're going to sing just that verse in closing, but we're going to change one word in it. Hopefully by the end of the time we are together this morning that we'll understand why. I invite you to again go to your Bibles in 1 Corinthians. I asked my family this morning at the breakfast table if any of them could tell me what I preached on two weeks ago. There was a lot of silence. Can you give us a hint? Just get us started. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to assume that if they're struggling, you're probably struggling too to remember two weeks ago. And my wife, Lord bless her, said, I know it was good. It makes you begin to understand why some during the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards is among them, preach the same sermon over and over again. If it's that good, maybe we need to hear it about five times and then we'll, it'll get caught in our collective thinking and it'll be more than just, I remember a really good sermon. I don't know what it was on, but it was good for the day. But we want to impact ourselves longer than just a day or a few hours for some of you or by Sunday night, can't remember what it was Sunday morning. So we're going to do some review in our walk up to 
this passage that uh, does communicate to us what the Spirit does and does answer the hymnist question, how does He do it? Because we are given insight into how the Spirit works. And fascinatingly enough, it's not that different from how the Spirit of Man works. And that is the comparison that Paul is going to use. Before we get into the passage and into our review, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We do thank you for your word before us. And um, not particularly today, but uh, we thank you for the opportunity to study today your spirit within us and his part that he needs to play today. And Lord, I pray you might work to do what you have promised to do and to do what only you can do, to illuminate us, to reveal God to us through your word. To search out the things of God and to bring them down to us. And Lord, that is far beyond the capacity of any man to do. And so we do genuinely ask for your help, for your work, to guard us from our own ideas and also to Turn on the light in our hearts and minds to your thoughts. Lord, we want to grow in our faith and our knowledge of you. And we recognize our responsibility to be a responsive people to your spirit. And so as he does his work, Lord, our prayer is that we might do ours too. Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been developing the message and ministry of Paul and the process of coming to maturity. And that was the key word two weeks ago, was are we mature? And how do we come to maturity in our faith? And we examined some of that, but let's back up even a step before that. What is involved so far? Paul says, when I come to you as a church planter, whether you want to call him an evangelist or, or I think he's a lot more than that, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he comes upon a new field, certainly evangelism is in the forefront of his thinking. In fact, he says to the Corinthians, pretty much the entire time I was with you, I had to focus in on the fundamentals. I preached Christ and him crucified. And this is the message and the singular message that needs to be spoken to the lost. We do not need to engage them in all these other topics. We need to engage them on there is sin. There is a penalty for sin. You are a sinner and you are under that penalty and there is no hope for you. See, that's it? No, I'm not done. (laughs) But God can do the impossible. And he can bring hope to despair. Obama can't. God can. He is our hope. And he is the only hope that man has. And so we preach that hope. That in your despair, in your circumstances, where you are a sinner under the penalty of death, a death sentence for your sin, God offers you more than just amnesty. He offers you more than just deliverance from death. He offers you a fullness of life. And this is the message Paul preached, is that Jesus Christ was crucified, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended to heaven for you. To forgive you of your sins and to impute to you, to grant to you His righteousness, to peel off the old man, put on the new man, uh, to transform you to be like Him. So you would not have to face your penalty. He would take it for you. And then to bring you into the very family of God. This is God's desire for you. This is God's will for you. What is your will? And this is the message that we must communicate to the world. And, and 
to the lost. This is where we engage them. This is where we direct every conversation back to. This is what we emphasize. And um, this is and when we're done emphasizing it, we come back to it again. We do not cease until they respond to that message. Every other attempt to communicate the truths of God to them is going to be met with frustration. Because not only do they not want to hear it, it is not within their capacity to hear it. They do not possess what is required to understand or to receive any further teaching of God's Word. And this we've already studied here in chapter 2, where it says that the natural man not only doesn't want it, he doesn't receive the, Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God, they're foolishness to him, but nor can he. They are beyond his capacity. And so now you're going to frustrate yourself, you're going to frustrate them. And so Paul says we begin with the message of Christ crucified, period. But once they respond to that message, and by repentance, by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, coming to Him, giving Him their life, and inviting Him to not only be their Savior, but their Lord, and, and they want to follow after Him with all of their being, now we are ready to move on. And move on we must. And here we, I didn't really talk to this two weeks ago too much, but if we fail to move on, we do an injustice to their infantile faith. For we keep them in the dangerous waters of very small, ignorant faith that can be washed by whatever comes across their path. And so Paul here in the book of Corinthians is taking to task this whole concept that we need to pull you from your infantile faith into a maturing faith and, Lord willing, into a full-blown mature faith that is producing fruit to God's glory. And that we must do. And I regularly, in fact, even this week, I come across someone that says, well, um, preacher, I don't really believe we need to go to church. Um, we all have the Spirit of God within us. And so I can worship God all by myself right here on my couch. And I said, that's true. But if you were genuinely worshiping God right here on your couch, He would reveal to you His Word which says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you would be convicted of that and you would go to church every chance you could. And the fact that you make this statement tells me that you're probably not sitting on your couch worshiping. You're not worshiping by the Spirit because He's not leading you to reveal His Word to you and you're not responding by faith to it. And that tells me that you uh, obviously need to go to church. Isn't that great? But that's the argument. We don't need it. But God's Word has very specifically communicated to us that that is our fundamental need once we receive Christ is to be trained in it. Why else do we take such great pains um, in God's Word to communicate the role of pastors, the qualifications of pastors? We have at least four letters to pastors saying, do your job. You have got to teach the people. It is your responsibility. We have Paul, who's going to, in the process of Corinthians, uh, communicate the, and defend that role of um, your teacher, your your kind of spiritual parent. I have this responsibility on my shoulders that I have before God, and uh, I'm going to fulfill it, whether you like it or not. So we need to recognize that this next step to maturity is not an optional one. It is required. And if God has genuinely done a work in you because you have submitted yourself to the uh, work of Christ on the cross and have received Him as Savior and Lord, then this movement into a place and into a lifestyle that is enveloped by the Spirit and His Word and His people, then you will come to maturity if you do not. You are jeopardizing this young, untested faith. And I would contend that untested faith is unreliable. 
And that's not my opinion. That's what I get out of Hebrews and James and a lot of other passages of Scripture. And so we come to this statement that, uh, first of all, he spoke Christ, that they might come to know him. But then in verse 6 it says, however, we speak wisdom to the mature, that it's time to move on from the rudimentaries, uh, although we still have to keep revisiting the rudimentaries. You don't, you, we're, not, we're not walking away from the foundation. We're building up from the foundation. And uh, we've done enough building around here to know that once you lay the foundation, uh, you don't abandon it to build the rest of the building. You're constantly walking on it. Constantly. It's still ground zero. It's still the area that you go to. It's the safest place. You know, you get up on the ladder to put up the, the drywall or to work on the ceiling or to put up lights. And where are you going to? Where do you want to get to? Pretty quick. Right back down to that foundation because the foundation is the safest place in the building. And so it is with Christ. We keep coming back to Christ. It's not that we're going to now, we're going to move on. We're not going to re reference that anymore. Every mature Christian loves to talk about Jesus Christ and explore the depth and the height and the breadth of what he has done for us. But we also recognize that there is more to be built on this foundation of Christ. And this, Paul says, we're going to speak wisdom if you're mature. And that maturity is about putting this information to work. And we talked two weeks ago, if you'll recall, about the difference between I know, I know, I know, and being able to simply do it because you're so familiar with it that it's second nature. Um, pray for us, our family. I have two young people in my home that are taking the Cordura driver instruction course. They're going to read the book, take the little test, and they'll probably pass it so they can say, I know, I know, I know. Does that mean that the government of New Mexico will let them go out there and just jump in a car and drive? No. Because there's a difference between a head knowledge and practical experience. And so they give them a learner's permit, which is followed by a, uh, another kind. You have the learner's provisional license, and then finally their license. It's like a two-year process or something. Because they need to be supervised, they need to be carried along, they need to be babied along until the proficiency at what they knew on the first test they took to get their learner's permit became second nature. Well, so it is with our faith. It is not just about, well, I know this Bible story. It's about becoming so proficient of exercising that, that Bible story's principles in your life that it becomes second nature. And that's true of all of Scripture, that we study it. And you say, well, I know that story and I know that verse. And yeah, John 3.16, I got that one down. You know, and, and, um, and I know a year and a half or so ago... Um, you guys were just excited that I came in just about jumping out of my skin because I found this new wonderful principle out of God's Word. And you said, what mysterious passage of Scripture did pastor hit upon that none of us have ever really looked at? And it was the Lord's Prayer. And it still is working me. I'm still working that idea. It's still testing me. I'm still put, trying to put that into practice that Jesus Christ tells us to go to the Father and say, Lord, may Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm, that still rattles me. I'm still not comfortable with it because I've heard all my life, well, God did this and God did that. God's doing all this. God made this happen. God made that happen. God's doing what He wants around and in, in, in everything. And Jesus seemed to think that we need to pray that God's will would be done on earth. Which tells me, it's not. Wow. Okay, well we know that. But I've been a year and a half working that over in my life. Reworking it. And by the way, learning something new and unlearning an old habit to learn something new are two different things. So learn it right the first time. And unlearning is harder than just learning fresh. 
So don't pick up those bad driving habits. You hear that, Scott? Okay, good driving habits. In other words, don't drive like I do. <laughs> drive like they tell you to. Um, <laughs> uh, and definitely don't drive like your sister does. And it doesn't matter which one you want to point to. Um, okay, where was I? So, we're maturing. Not I know, I know, I know, but um, I have a knowledge of God, but maturity says I need to keep delving into this. I need to keep exercising this till it becomes me. It's not something I know about. It is something I am intimate with. It is defining of me now. And this is maturity in the Christian walk. Okay, I'm still on last couple of messages. I haven't gotten to today's yet. This is dangerous territory we're coming into. Okay. Now, what is this wonderful thing that we are waiting to receive that we now speak to those who are Christians, this wisdom? Um, he says it's a mystery. And we talked about that, that it's, it's hidden. It is something that is hidden and it's hidden from man. But it is hidden because man is not capable of receiving it. Um, it is Foolishness to us, he says, um, it does, it, it's not rational. And again, that doesn't mean it's irrational or unrational. It means it is super rational. And please replace that concept. Um, people think, well, if it's not rational, then it's irrational. Um, there is a third, and that is God's reasoning, which is far above our reasoning. And, and this is the idea of this mystery that has to be revealed. It has to be shown to us. You are not going to come to these truths by the exercise of your intuition, of your intellect, of your brain. That if I just think through this long enough, I'll get it figured out. It will never happen that way. And that is why, before you crack these pages, before you hear me preach, we pray. <laughs> we need help. You are not smart enough. The smartest of us is not, are not smart enough to get this. We need God's help. For this is not obvious to us. But it can become that when the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. Then we go, why didn't I see that? So what is this mystery? and Why is maturity so valuable? Because God's intention in bringing it forward at this time is for your glory. And we saw that the Gospel was about humbling ourselves that we might glorify God, that we can't stake any claim or right to Christ. We can't stake any claim or right to heaven. Uh, we can't point our bony finger at God and say, you can't condemn me. But rather, we have to humble ourselves and say, I am a dirty, rotten sinner, and it is all to God's glory. And any true believer will glorify God for his salvation and will belittle and minimize anything that he put into the equation, i.e. his repentance or faith. And God's response to our humility is to glorify us. He who is least will become greatest. First shall be last and the last shall be first. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. And so this Mystery isn't to um, humiliate us. We are to humble ourselves so that God can exalt us, that He can bring us glory. How are we going to bring us glory? Well, we're going to find that out here a little bit. We're going to be introduced to it, um, why these deep things uh, bring us glory. And he says in this phrase out of Isaiah, I has not seen. Well, a wonderful statement. Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. 
What an expression of the glory God intends to give those who will humble themselves. And brethren, a mature believer by requisite is humbled. The more I discover about God, the more in awe I am of Him and the more disgusted I am with me. For I see again and again areas of my life that do not conform. I see a faith that is seldom really exercised. I listen to prayers that are void of really believing God's going to do anything about them. And so I come to a passage like this and say, Lord, I don't deserve this. And, and God's response is, I prepared it for you. All I'm asking for you is to love me and to submit yourself to what I say. To acknowledge as truth, absolute truth, that you will receive without question. That you will obey without delay. And I will lift you up higher than any man's eye can see, better than any man's ears heard, greater than anything you could imagine. God has that prepared for us. Now, how does it happen? What is the process? And now we get into the message of today. That's all review. You've already heard all of that pretty much. So we come in. God is going to bring us to this mystery. He's going to reveal mystery to us. He's going to show us things that are not shown to natural man. And that is that not through our own intellect, not through debate, not through experience, but rather this is, this is revealed to us through the Spirit. And so we find how, what is the process that is entailed here? And we begin not with where it starts with us, but where it starts before it ever gets to us. And the example he gives is, who knows what's in your heart? Who knows what's going on inside of you right now? Who knows what you are considering or looking at or examining or thinking of right now? I do not. Some of you might right now might be daydreaming. I don't know. You may be sitting there thinking, I would really like a hamburger right about... You know, I don't know what's going through your mind right now. But you do. You do. And this is the example that Paul's going to give of what's going on within the Godhead with regard to these mysteries, these deep truths that we want to construct our lives around now as followers of Jesus Christ. Um that they are in the mind of God. And the Spirit of God knows them. Just as you know what's going on in your heart and life right now, what uh, your priorities are right now, whether you really want to even be in this room right now or not, what you think of me or the person sitting beside you, or, or whether you're concerned right now about whether your shoelaces are tied. How many of you just, I'm trying to see how many looked at the shoelaces. Um, you know, well, God knows. The Spirit knows the deepest things of God. And so it begins, before it ever comes to us, that the Holy Spirit has this knowledge of what is in the mind of God. And now He's going to bring it forward, and He is the revealer of these Truths. And it says, it's fascinating, verse 10, that the Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. And you think, wait a minute, the Spirit is God. Why does He have to search? And again, I don't know that this might be one area where we say, I don't know what's going on there, but it's happening. So the Spirit is out there on our behalf, searching out the deep things of God. Even though He is God, He is searching them out and preparing Himself to communicate them to us. In our frailty, in our limitations, He is preparing to do that. And so He searches those things out, the deepest things of God, and 
He is getting ready to do that. And only He can do that. That's an exclusive role of the Holy Spirit that only He can search out the deep things of God. And so you cannot, let me share, let me say this again emphatically, you cannot bypass the Holy Spirit and claim to grow in Christ. Let me say that again. You cannot bypass the Holy Spirit and claim to have access to the knowledge that's going to bring you to a greater faith in, of the truth of God and, and walking in God. You cannot. Why do I want to make that so emphatic? On several occasions, we have this command by God that we walk in the Spirit. But we're also given a couple of instances where we're told something very frightening. And that is that you can grieve the Spirit and that you can resist the Spirit. What is it that a Christian would do, could do, that would grieve and resist the Holy Spirit? How is it that we are given that kind of power, if you want to call it, or authority, that the Spirit does not enforce, He's not an enforcer in our life, He's not going to come in and slap us around and say, you're going to do what I want you to do, but rather, He comes into us um, in a very passive way, really, and says, and we're invited, walk with me. And yet we find in the Christian community, those um, who by their very way of living, by their disobedience, are grieving Him, are resisting Him in their, in their uh, decision-making and in their study and in their application of God's truth. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. They're grieving Him. They're not walking in the Spirit. And yet somehow they think they can pick up this book and know it better than you and I who are walking in the Spirit. It cannot be done. You cannot claim that you have this divine access to His truth all the while you are grieving the Spirit with your lifestyle. And this is why when we come to Scriptures that talk about who should be teaching God's Word, He says, don't let many of you do it. Why? Because there's a great accountability. Why do we have these lists describing the, this? It seems like you want pastors to be perfect. Well, pretty much they need to be living what they're teaching. And if they're not, get rid of them. Sunday school teachers, you're not off the hook here. You pick up this book to teach it, you had better be prepared because you better have taught yourself it before you're ready to stand in front of others and teach it to them. You better be putting it into practice or you're a hypocrite. If we are bypassing the Holy Spirit and we're coming to this book without prayer, we're coming to this book not walking the Spirit, then you're going to get nothing divine from this book. Understand that. It will be boring to you and anything you will be fishing in there, trying to find some place where it will say what you want it to say. You will take things out of context. You will twist them around so they conform to your beliefs instead of your beliefs conforming to them. This is what it looks like when you have people who are in the active process of resisting and grieving the Holy Spirit trying to handle this book, the Bible. No one but the Spirit searches the deep things of God and reveals them. If you want to become a handler of God's Word, it is required of you to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. End of discussion. You must be dependent upon Him. Which means that you're going to be walking with Him. You're going to be obeying Him. You're going to be responding to Him. Remember, in that first step, we had to respond to Jesus Christ. We had to humble ourselves and respond to Christ. And by obeying uh, His command, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And so I'm going to respond. I'm going to believe. And I'm going to trust in You. I'm going to make You Lord and Savior. I'm going to give You my life. And, and I'm going to trust You for everything. Well, great. Now, next step to maturity. Now you got to deal with another person of the Godhead. You want to grow in the Lord? You want to understand His Word? You want His Word revealed to you? Guess what you have to do? Humble yourself. 
to the Holy Spirit and walk in Him. Be obedient to Him. Now, what does that look like? And I need to spend some time on this because of all the gobbledygook that's out there. What does it look like? What, what is the manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit today? And there are those that want to take us to Acts chapter 2 and where the Holy Spirit comes and say this is the evidence of the Holy Spirit that there ought to be doves flying around, there ought to be um, uh, tongues floating around the air around us, and that there, there, by the way, and there ought to be loud noises which, or wind. There should be lots of wind. Um, but if you listen, watch very carefully and you read through the passage, you'll find that those are simile and metaphor and there wasn't really those things to begin with. And there should at least be speaking in tongues, um, which has become somehow gibberish instead of foreign languages that are clearly understood by those of other uh, countries. Um, but it's become that. And Paul, in this book, 1 Corinthians, is going to deal with that extensively. What is this idea of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? This is our introduction to him. We're going to come to it extensively in chapter 12, so it's going to be like a year from now. But um, we're going to get there, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to have to spend some time there. But let us just understand that um, the, the manifestation, the way we can see the Holy Spirit at work, is not driven by Acts chapter 2. And there is no single manifestation that we should say, that's the Spirit. But we do have a statement by Paul in Galatians that the evidence, the fruit, and fruit is evidence. Okay? So when you read Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. Starting to get the list? Can anyone finish it? Long-suffering? I rattle these things off and sometimes I wonder if you can rattle them off. Gentleness, kindness. Come on, how many of them are there? Out there somewhere. Hmm? You're all so shy now because it's the podcast, isn't it? You don't want to be heard on there. Give me the last one. Self-control, temperance. Okay. So we have this listing of the evidence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when the Spirit's in control of someone? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good list. And of course, you've heard me over and over again emphasize the last one because it seems to drop off everybody's list. We get the love, joy, peace part and then we kind of go all those nesses and then uh, something at the end. Right? And I like to emphasize the last one because it's the one being totally ignored in this Holy Spirit movement of our day that says the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that you lose self-control. The Bible clearly says that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is self-control. How is it that you have a preacher that's going to come up and make you laugh out of control and claim that's the proof of the Holy Spirit? You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah. How is it that a preacher's going to come up to you, touch you, and you're going to start shaking all over and fall on the ground and squirm around and say, that is the Spirit controlling me, when there's evidence that Bible says that the Spirit's in control of you is self-control. How can you say that we can work you up into a fervor and get you to speak gibberish that you yourself can't understand and say that is the Holy Spirit when there's no self-control? What does it look like, this walking in the Spirit? What, is it, what, what does it feel like? And, and what's the experience? Well, how do we identify it? Well, we identify it by obedience. You might say, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit's leading me? Well, because you've been humbled to Him and been obedient to Him, it is not a feeling that you're looking for. And it's not this weird activity that's the evidence. The fruit is listed for us there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. An excellent passage that you should uh, memorize and, and you should have just blur them right out just like I do. And you should be able to just see them at work. And it's not fruits, it's fruit. It's a singular thing um, that we're seeing evident at once. A child of God walking in surrender to the Holy Spirit 
will demonstrate these. There will be kindness. There will be peace. When I see a church that's at war, what do you have to conclude? Somewhere in there, someone's not walking with the Spirit. When there's no love, that's pretty strong proof. That's pretty strong evidence. Spirit's not in that. Someone's resisting him. Someone's grieving him. Where's the joy? Something's not right between you and the Holy Spirit. There's some resistance going on in your life to Him. And so, rather than trying to listen for voices, rather than trying to uh, have this esoteric experience where you fall on the ground, you lose control, let's rather step back and look into God's Word, there's an idea, and examine it and say, here's the proof of the Spirit. Here's the evidence. Here's the fruit. Here's what I'm looking for. And, and now, once that is there... And I am walking with Him. And it's not something that I'm trying to... By the way, don't go out there and say, okay, I'm going to work on love this week. Um, it, 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 it's a natural fruit. I don't think any of these fruit trees around here say, okay, I'm going to work on that branch over there. I've got to grow that apple right now. Okay, next week I'm going to work on that apple over there on that branch. You know, your trees aren't doing that. They are feeding them all simultaneously and they are just the natural result of the process of that tree drawing nutrients up and pumping it through its system. Well, guess what? The natural result of a submitted life to the, in obedience to God's Word will produce that fruit in your life. You don't have to work at it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the godly man. It's not the fruit of the hard-working Christian. It is the fruit of the Spirit. That the Spirit develops these things. It is His fruit that if He's pumping through your veins, so to speak, if He's got His sap flowing through you and it's getting out to the branches of your life, this is what's going to show up. Don't sit there and work at that. What am I working at then? You're working at obedience and submission. I'm going to submit to the Holy Spirit of God. How do I do that? Well, I try to exemplify that to you every Sunday. We pray. Lord, it's beyond me. And I confess my sin and I ask the Spirit to come in and control. And it's not just before I read the Bible, but it's before I do a lot of things. Lord, I want to obey you right now. Spirit, I want you to have liberty in my life. I want you to, I want you to have control here. I want, I want to obey your word and I'm going to put that into practice. I'm not just going to say the words, I'm going to live the life. And in that state of submission to what you know to be true in God's word, I know this is true and I'm going to be obedient to that truth. The Holy Spirit starts. And we, we start, we, we use these terminology about the Holy Spirit and they've been abused of whether you're baptized in the Spirit, whether you got the Spirit, whether you've been filled with the Spirit. And, and I uh, tell people, the illustration I use over and over again with people regarding the Holy Spirit, and you've heard it a thousand times, but uh, apparently it's good to have review, um, is that when you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit, it's like a thermometer. You never add more mercury in a thermometer and you never an old thermometer, not the digital one, sorry. Okay, I get your mind off the digital thing. Go beep. Okay, um, this is a real thermometer that has mercury in it and, and you can see it. You can watch it go up and down. Do you ever notice you never add mercury to the thermometer and you don't take any away? Folks, you have as much of the Spirit of God in you as I do and you'll have as much as you'll ever have if you're a Christian here right now. I say, well, he sure seems to be at work in other people more than in my life. Well, something great about a thermometer, how much of that thermometer is filled with that mercury is dependent upon the environment it's put in. You put it in a warm environment, what happens? It expands and fills the space. You put it in a cold environment, it contracts to its minimum if it's really cold. 
Brethren, the environment in which you live your life will determine whether the Holy Spirit has liberty to work in you. There's no magic formula here. There's no special experience. There's no emotion here that I am trying to tap. I'm telling you, on a daily basis, the environment that you choose to live in, the media that you put around your life, the fellowship that you engage in throughout the week, uh, with the world or not with the world, the, the manner in which you choose to live, where you place um, your, the temple of God, which is going to come up too here, the Holy Spirit, temple of the Holy Spirit, where you place that temple and how you treat that temple um, and is, is the environment around this thermometer kind of illustration of the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit to control of your life? Put yourself in a spiritual environment. Why aren't you hungry enough for God's Word to come every time it's offered? Why aren't Christians your favorite people to be around? And you look forward to having uh, discussions with them. And by the way, I am getting really spoiled. This week I have been really spoiled. I've been a little selfish and I want to ask for your forgiveness. Um, I've had the Silcots here all week parked in my driveway and they have nothing to do. And I won't take them anywhere because they just go to my living room and talk. Um, cause we're having great fellowship and we were having some incredible conversations and, and, uh, and they'll be here till Wednesday. So if you want to steal them away, that's okay. But maybe for pie, um, <laughs> um, we need it. We need to place ourselves in that, those kinds of environments that our reading is godly reading, that our entertainment is godly entertainment, that, our, that everything we do is, is, is fulfilling what Philippians tells us to, that, that whatever things are pure and lovely and good to report and, and, and all the, that list there, which I should also be able to just rip off right now, um, think on these things. Meditate on that. And as we are doing our part, the fruit begins to appear. Because we are not the producers of the fruit. The Spirit is. Our responsibility is get the roots down. By submitting ourselves and placing ourselves in this environment where He can work. And if you're continually placing yourself in the hearing and in the, in the surroundings of wickedness and of this world then don't sit there and scratch your head and say, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's like. Why doesn't He do anything for me? Well, you've stuck Him in a freezer. And so He looks like He's this small when He could fill your life. If you just get in the right environment of thinking, of your of your home life, not just coming to church. This is not what I'm just referring to, coming to church. I hope I'm getting that across. It is your entirety of your life. And the Spirit will fill it. And He will pump out what He's pumping and it will produce the fruit. He will produce that fruit in you. Isn't that wonderful? So don't go home and say, I've got to work on this and I've got to work on that, um, on that list of the fruit of the Spirit. No. You need to go home and say, I'm going to work on placing myself in an environment that I know the Spirit would be pleased. And then I'm going to let Him do His thing. I'm not going to grieve Him. I'm not going to resist Him. And once you do that, He will do His work. He's promised to. So that was a parenthesis from our passage, and I really have a lot more sermon here than I have time. Lord, help me. Here we go. It's going to have to wait till next week. I can't. I can't get into the next section of this um, without taking you about twenty more minutes, twenty-five more minutes. Um, we're going to have to d- finish this sermon up next week. Um, I just want to challenge you that what the Holy Spirit looks like and what he doesn't look like. So that we aren't 
feeling like we're missing out on something because we're not Pentecostal. No, you're not missing out on anything. If you're missing out on anything, it's because you've put the Holy Spirit in a deep freezer by surrounding yourself with the world instead of Christ. Does that mean that we don't ever engage the world? Oh, we do. We reach out to them, but we don't place ourselves there. There's a big difference between reaching out to them and being among them. And so we are called to preserve this environment around us. This is part of our maturity. This is our demonstration that we've humbled ourselves to the Spirit. We humble ourselves to Jesus Christ by accepting Him as Savior. Now, on a daily basis, I'm going to humble myself to the Spirit of God by placing myself in the environment where He can do His work. And it will produce the fruit that He will produce. And one of the workings of the Holy Spirit that I really want to get into, but we'll have to wait till next week, is the revelation of truth. And we're going to talk about something else that belongs to the Spirit that we keep trying to pick up and use ourselves. We think it's ours when God says it belongs to the Spirit. Today, we recognize the fruit of the Spirit is not of your making. It's of His. You simply need to put Him in an environment where He can do His job. And He will wait for you. He will wait for you to put Him in that environment. He will not force the issue. Because like the Son humbled Himself, the Spirit humbles Himself. And says, I invite you to walk with Me. There's revelation. There's illumination. There's comfort. There's encouragement. There's wonderful things there but um, that will bring you glory. That will lift you, exalt you. But first, you have to lower yourself and say, I'm not the measure of the right environment. God is. God has told me how I should live my life. And that is what I need to do to develop a right relationship with Holy Spirit so that He can do His perfect work in me. Just like you had to surrender to Jesus Christ's sacrifice as your only hope so that He could do His perfect work in you. God isn't done just because you prayed the sinner's prayer. He's really just started. And that's we want to develop in maturity. So next week we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit reveals the word to us.